listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Well, hey, it is, uh, it is good to see everyone today. Man, it, what a, just a, a powerful time of worship this morning. Um, it was really cool for me just to kind of stand in the back and just hear everyone uh, you guys sound really good, okay? There's some encouragement for you. Um, <clears throat> it, is, uh, it is good to see you guys. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm chapter 37. So before we start this morning, I just want to mention this, and then we're going we're gonna to move on, okay? Um, in the Bible, okay, especially the Old Testament um, and into the New Testament, uh, the number seven is, is, uh, has some significance um, every now and then. And so I just want to say uh, we are seven Saturdays away from kickoff, okay, football season, okay? Um, I feel like Moses and the Israelites have been wandering around in the wilderness. Like, man, it's been, it's been a while. Um, we're almost there, guys. Seven Saturdays away um, until we kick off Texas Tech football season. Um, it's going to be awesome. Now we're going to move on, okay? We're going to move on. So Psalm chapter 37 today. Hey, uh, we've been in a series this summer. Um, we started a few weeks ago called uh, Psalms for the Summer. What we're doing is we're looking at uh, different psalms that speak to different seasons of life, okay? Um, for instance, first week we talked about uh, Psalm 13, um, a psalm for the forgotten. What do you do in those moments when you feel forgotten by God? What do you, what do, you do in those moments when, when you just feel like, man, where is God at? Like, like, I feel like I'm so far from him right now. I feel like he's moved on from me. What do I do? Um, psalm chapter 16, last week, um, I talked about a psalm for the dissatisfied. Where do we find satisfaction? When we are dissatisfied with life, when we are dissatisfied with, with everything going on, when, when it just feels, you know, pretty terrible, where can we find joy? Where can we find satisfaction? Talked about that last week. This week, um, this morning, Psalm 37, we're calling it a psalm for the irritated, okay? A psalm for the irritated. So that brings up the question, irritated at what? Is this a psalm for uh, parents with like little kids, okay? Like I've got three kids, seven, five, and almost three, all right? Um, she'll be three uh, in uh, at the end of August, correct? Yes, okay, I'm looking at my wife. Um, She'll be three at the end of August. Uh, I'll just share a little story really, really fast. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, like just a little background on the youngest. Um, everything that the two oldest do, she wants to do, okay? Even though she's two. Like, like that's just, that's her personality. Um, and if you have kids, you're probably like, yeah, that's how all, all the young ones are. When they see the older ones do it, they want to do it. Um, and I know this. Well, I was making lunch for, for all of them. And uh, I did what, what I... What I knew to do, I made them all the exact same lunch because I knew if I didn't, that there would be some fighting, there would be some arguing. Why didn't I get this? Why did they get that? Um, so I made them all the exact same thing. Now, let me preface this by saying, like, this story is 100% my fault. Like, I know, I know it is, okay? But the misstep happened when I gave the two oldest cups without lids, and I gave her a cup with a lid, okay? Um, an argument ensued between me and the youngest, okay? She presented her, her argument like, hey, here's why I should deserve a cup without a lid, right? I thought I presented an argument pretty well, like here's why you shouldn't deserve a cup without a lid, okay? 
We went back and forth at it. And let me just say this. It's really stupid arguing with the two-year-old, okay? You don't come away from that conversation going, man, I feel like we accomplished something. Um, you, you don't. It just doesn't make sense, okay? But I gave in. And I was like, okay, just you can have the cup without the lid. Just go sit down. Not two minutes later, I hear the crash of a cup and just the, the, the uh, cry of a two-year-old, oh, no. And so I walk over, and yep, the cup had dropped, and the, the water had spilt out, and I was irritated, but mostly with myself, okay? I was irritated that I gave in to that. So is this a psalm for that? No, okay? It's not. It's not. Um, is this a psalm for our, our friends or family members who we feel like are kind of acting a fool? We're like, man, they are old enough now. Like, they should stop acting immature. Like, it's getting really, really frustrating. I'm irritated with them. Is this a psalm for that? No, it's, it's not. Actually, what we're going to find out in Psalm 37 is that this is a psalm for those moments in life, those seasons of life, where you look around and all you see are the wicked that are prospering. That's what we're going to talk about today. This is a psalm for, for those moments in life where you look around and you're like, man, I wish I could have a little of that. This psalm's for you. This is a psalm for, for you if you've ever just wondered like, God, I'm over here struggling and I'm following you and yet I look around at all these people who really hate you and things are going really, really well for them and it's, a, it's really irritating. This is a, a psalm for you. This is a psalm for those of us who maybe follow Jesus and there've been moments in our lives where we've wondered, what has this gotten us? Where, like, like, where am I at right now? Like, what has this gotten me? This is a psalm for you, okay? Now, tell me if this sounds a little familiar to you. Those who seem to hate God control everything in the land, right? Everywhere we look, it looks like those are the ones that are prospering. In fact, it feels like there's less and less room for those of us who actually love God, feels like there's less and less room for us. Well, I'm actually not talking about our context here. I'm talking about the context of Psalm 37, okay? King David, he, he sees this going on. He sees the wicked are prospering. The, the righteous are oppressed. And he knows that because of that, there's a very real temptation to look around you and not only be irritated and agitated with the, the prosperity of the wicked, but also envious of them. Why can't I have some of that? And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to read Psalm 37 together. And then I'm going to point out three quick things from the text of, of why King David says it, it's silly for us to get flustered or frustrated or agitated with the prosperity of the wicked. And then I want to point out three application points really, really fast on what to do if you find yourself in that season. Okay. And as we read Psalm 37 this morning, I want to I wanna invite you, I want to ask you to do a couple of things. As we read it, take note of the, of the compare and contrast between the righteous and the wicked, okay? Take note of that, and then also take note of, of all of the just kind of silly reasons David gives of why it's silly to be frustrated or agitated with the prosperity of the wicked, so let's start this morning in verse one. If you don't have your Bibles, you can take that Bible that might be close to you in front of you. That's our gift to you. If you don't have one, take it with you, go home with it. It'll also be on the screen as we read this morning. So starting in verse one, it says this. 
Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong, for they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him and he will act. Making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way, by the person who carries out evil plans. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. For evildoers will be destroyed, but those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked person will be no more. Though you look for him, he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. The wicked person schemes against the righteous and gnashes his teeth in him. The Lord laughs at him because he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and strung the bow to bring down the poor and needy and to slaughter those whose way is upright. Their swords will enter their own hearts and their bows will be broken. The little that the righteous person has is better than the abundance of many wicked people. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord supports the righteous. The Lord watches over the blameless all their days and their inheritance will last forever. They will not be disgraced in times of adversity. They will be satisfied in days of hunger. But the wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies, like the glory of the pastures, will fade away. They will fade away like smoke. The wicked person borrows and does not repay, but the righteous one is gracious and giving. Those who are blessed by the Lord will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be destroyed. A person's steps are established by the Lord and he takes pleasure in his own way. Though he falls, he will not be overwhelmed because the Lord supports him with his hand. I've been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread. He is always generous, always lending, and his children are a blessing. Turn away from evil, do what is good, and settle permanently. For the Lord loves justice and will not abandon his faithful ones. They are kept safe forever, but the children of the wicked will be destroyed. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it permanently. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. His tongue speaks what is just. The instruction of his God is in his heart. His steps do not falter. The wicked one lies in wait for the righteous and intends to kill him. The Lord will not leave him in the power of the wicked one or allow him to be condemned when he is judged. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will watch when the wicked are destroyed. I have seen a wicked, violent person well-rooted like a flourishing native tree. Then I passed by and noticed that he was gone. I searched for him, but he could not be found. Watch the blameless and observe the upright, for the person of peace will have a future. But the transgressors will all be eliminated. The future of the wicked will be destroyed. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord, their refuge in a time of distress. The Lord helps and delivers them. He will deliver them from the wicked and will save them because they take refuge in him. How many of you are irritated that I just read 40 verses? Okay. Hey, so here's, here's how I want to start, okay? 40 verses long. 
And I wanted to read it because very rarely do we read chunks of, of scripture together, okay? And so I thought it'd be good for us just to read it, okay? See it with our eyes. And here's the first thing I want to point out to us why David says it's, it's silly for us to get so flustered and frustrated with the wicked. And it's this, the wicked will fade away. That's the very first thing that he, he lets us know. He says, the wicked will fade away. He says, why is it pointless to get irritated with the wicked? Because their time is limited. Their, their time is limited here, here on this earth. I mean, for instance, verses one and two, he says, don't be agitated by evildoers. They will wither quickly like grass. Verse nine, he says, evildoers will be destroyed. Verse 10, a little while, the wicked person will be no more. Verse 20, the wicked will fade away like smoke. Verse 38, transgressors will be eliminated. The wicked will be destroyed. Why are there so many verses in this chapter about the, the, the temporariness? Is that a word? I think that's a word. It doesn't sound like one, but it is. We're gonna, we're gonna say it is. The temporariness of the wicked. Like, why are there so many verses about that? And I think it's because it, when we get frustrated and we read this, it's almost like David is sitting by us with his arm around our shoulders and he's, he's trying to comfort us. And what he's saying to us is he's saying, do you really want to be in their shoes? Just look at their future. Is that what you want for yourself? Do you want to be in the shoes of the wicked? Because this is, this is where it's going to lead them, Right? You know, I don't know if he had in mind, like when he was talking about like the, the withering of the grass, if he had in mind like fescue grass in the summer months in Lubbock, Texas. But that's what I think about when I read this. Like how hard is it to grow fescue grass, especially when we don't have shade in the summer months of Lubbock, Texas. It's so difficult, almost impossible. And it just fades away like that. That's the example that he's giving here. He's saying, hey, the, the wicked that you get so flustered and frustrated about and their time is limited, and it's so limited, it almost is like they're just a, a grass that withers away in the sun. Smoke that just fades away. That's how limited it is. And you may be sitting there going, okay, like I get that. Like I understand that, this, this chapter, I, I get this chapter, but, but I don't really struggle with this. Like what do I, like uh, this isn't really like that, that big of a, a difficulty for me. Well, let me ask you some questions. Okay, let me give you some examples. What about that friend? What about that friend that's retired, okay? And you know, man, they've, they've lived for themselves their entire life. They've been extremely selfish. They've never really served God ever. In fact, they would probably say that they don't need God. But yet that friend has a bigger 401k, a bigger house. Their kids are doing better. Their grandkids are doing better than you. And in those moments, you may wonder, like, why can't I have that? Or what about that person, maybe this is you, that's sitting there or has been sitting there for, for weeks on end, just wondering, like, man, is it worth it for me to stay in my marriage any longer? Like, we, we don't really like each other anymore. Like, all we do is fight, it seems like. And I look at my friend over here who's divorced and he seems like he's having the time of his life. Is it really worth it to stay in my marriage any longer? For my high school and college students in here, maybe you've started to notice like, 
man, the, the guy or the girl who gets all the attention from the guy or the girl, the things that they employ to get that attention, they don't really line up with your moral compass, but you, you start to ask the question like, maybe I need to start in putting some of those things into practice just to get a little bit of attention. This is what it looks like to be irritated or agitated with the wicked, and it leads to envy. It leads to envy. So the question then is, is okay, if this is the future of the wicked, they fade away, then who will last? Who is the person that will last? Well, well, David gives us the answer in verses three and four. He says, those who trust in the Lord, those who delight in the Lord, those who commit their ways to the Lord. These are the people that will, will last. And here's what I, I love about this, this, this part of, of chapter 37 is he says, the ones that will last are those who trust in the Lord, commit their ways to the Lord and delight in the Lord. And he says, as you do, live in the land and live securely, okay? A very literal translation of, of that word, of that phrase, live securely, is cultivate faithfulness. Cultivate faithfulness in your life. And, and I love this because David is using a, a shepherding metaphor here, which is exactly what he knows. In fact, it's really the only thing that he knows. And he's saying, hey, as you live in the land, to help you not get frustrated and flustered about the prosperity of the wicked, let me tell you something that will help you. Cultivate or shepherd faithfulness in your life. Well, what do you mean, David? Like, like, what do you mean shepherd faithfulness in my life? Put into practice things that will help you cultivate faithfulness to the Lord in your life. Things like prayer, okay? How often do we just stop and pray? Like, like prayer is a way to cultivate faithfulness in your life. You know, another way, practicing thankfulness. Practicing thankfulness is, is how many of us know this, but it's a, it's a, a spiritual discipline really just spending time thinking about all of the things that God has blessed us with and given us and, and just, just really um, um, shown us goodness in our lives and just being thankful for that. Another way is living with generosity. This is another way to cultivate faithfulness in your life, living with generosity. When I, when I hear that, I think of my wife, um, and she probably won't want me to say this, but I think of her when I think of cultivating or, or, or uh, living with generosity, there are times where we'll sit down and we'll talk about our, our budget, okay, for the month or whatever. And I've already shared how much that's like a grind for me, okay? Um, but I do it because I know it's a way for me to love her. And one of the things that we talk about is she always brings up like, hey, we've got to leave room in our budget for us to help people. We've got to leave room in our budget for us to, to help people that we may not know like need it, or for us to bless people this month. And I'm so thankful that she does that because my personality is like, I want that and I want to bless me, okay? I want to bless me. But she's the type of person that wants to live with generosity. She's cultivating faithfulness in her life. Or what about last week as we talked about, man, when you're dissatisfied, finding your satisfaction in the presence of God. So why is it silly for us to get frustrated or, or irritated with the wicked? Well, David says, first and foremost, because the wicked will fade away. Secondly, the second thing that he mentions is this, irritation with the wicked does more harm than good. 
Look at verse eight. Verse eight says, refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. Okay, let me say this before, before I go into anything else in this point. There's a difference between righteous anger and what David is talking about here, okay? Righteous anger is very much God-centered, okay? It hates what God hates, and, and it wants to see things different. The, the anger that David is talking about here is anger that's me-centered, okay? It's me-centered, and, and when, I, when I read this, when I see like, like, refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. You know what I think about? I think about all of the rage and, and vitriol that comes from watching so much news or social media feeds, right? Like those outlets, like especially, like let's just say like Twitter, okay? Twitter's a cesspool, like we know it, but yet we go there, right? Like we go there and, and these outlets, they're meant to do one thing and one thing only, to drive your rage, that's what they're there for. It's there to tell you, hey, you need to be angry about this. You need to be angry about that. And here's the thing. David's being very practical here. He's, he's essentially saying, this is not good for your health, <laughs> okay? The only thing that irritation with the wicked is helping you is helping drive up your blood pressure. That's it. David is talking about just being in a constant state of irritation and anger with the wicked, Instead, what does he tell us to do? Instead of going down the path of anger, look at what he says in verse seven. He says, be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. In verse 34, he says something very similar. He says, wait on the Lord, okay? Wait on him. That's hard, isn't it? If we're being honest, like that's, that's difficult for us to be still, to be quiet and wait patiently on the Lord. Why? I think, I think there's a whole host of reasons, primarily because of the rise of technology. Very rarely are we like this far away from our phones, right? And I'm speaking to myself, I'm not, I'm not judging you. Like very rarely are we this far away from our phones. And so here's the question. Are you finding time in your life for stillness, for quietness? Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15 says, the Lord says through Isaiah, he says, your strength will lie in quiet confidence. Your strength will lie in quiet confidence. So here's the question. When I, when I read that verse, the, the question that comes to me is what kind of quietness produces strength? That doesn't make sense to me. What kind of quietness produces strength? Well, it's, it's the quietness that comes from the path that David laid out for us in Psalm 37, right? Trust in the Lord, delight in the Lord, commit your ways to the Lord. And I think the reason this is especially hard for me is because I, I would prefer action, right? Like I would prefer action. And I would assume that, that most of you in here are the exact same way. Like I wanna just, I wanna be about the action. Like, let me do that. But here's the underlying question beneath, uh, beneath, Dewey, um, beneath being silent and waiting expectantly. Here's the underlying question. Do we trust the Lord to act? And not just that, but do we trust the Lord to act not on our timeline, but his timeline? 
That's the underlying question. And so here's why I think that this is so difficult for us. It's because for a lot of us, our trust factor is low. That's why. I feel like for a lot of us in here, and and I'm saying me as well, our trust factor is low when it comes to trusting the Lord to act on our behalf. At least that's what, what I identify in my life, right? So the wicked will fade away. Irritation with the wicked does more harm than good. And then the third reason that David gives for not getting irritated or flustered with the prosperity of the wicked is this. The Lord will not let you down. The Lord will not let you down. This is really the the underlying theme in this entire chapter. And it's this, trust him, he will take care of you. Okay, just look at some of these verses. Verse four, delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Verse five, trust in him and he will act. Verse 11, the humble will inherit the land and enjoy abundant prosperity. Verse 18, the Lord watches over the blameless. Their inheritance will last forever. Verse 24, the Lord supports him with his hand. Verse 28, the Lord will not abandon his faithful ones. Verse 29, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell permanently. Verse 40, the Lord helps and delivers them. He will deliver them from the wicked and he will save them. And these are just a few of the verses, right? But all of these are there to remind us of what? That the Lord will take care of you. He will not let you down. That's, what the, the, that's the underlying theme here in this entire chapter. Jesus says something very similar, right? In Matthew chapter six, he says, if the Lord feeds the sparrows, if, the Lord, if, if, if God clothes the wildflowers of the fields, how much more will he take care of you? What's the, what's the, the message there? Like, like those things weren't created in his image. You were So if he does all of this for things that weren't created in his image, how much more will he do for you who is created in his image? He'll take care of you. He will not let you down. The other thing in this chapter that that plays a, a pivotal role is this idea of land, okay? Over and over and over again in this chapter, you see right now the wicked have control of the land. But very soon they will be gone and the Lord will give back the land to the righteous, okay? In the Old Testament, land was very, very important. From Abraham on, like God promised them land um, to to really live in, in, in constant communion with the Lord. Well, when we read that, is this like a promise of like for you and I, like, hey, one day, don't worry, but one day God's going to give you that plot of land in Lubbock that, that you've really, really wanted or desired, okay? Like, like don't worry, it's gonna happen. No, I don't think that's what's taking place here. In fact, I think it goes even deeper than that. Because if you look in verse, uh, verse 11, it says, the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity something very similar is said in the Beatitudes, right? Or or in in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five. The meek shall inherit what? The earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. So here's what I think is, is happening here. 
the prosperity of the wicked, it does not matter. It, it, it doesn't matter if you ever accumulate any worldly wealth in the here and now. Because the worldly wealth that is accumulated here can't hold a candle to what God is, has in store for you in the new heaven and new earth. That's what, is, that's what David is getting at. That's what Jesus is getting at when he says, the meek shall inherit the earth. Just wait, be patient. So how do we apply this? Like, like, what do we do here when we read this? If we find ourselves maybe in a season of like going, okay, like this is a struggle for me. I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna admit it. Like, like I struggle with this. I get flustered. I get frustrated. I get irritated when I see just the prosperity of, of those who hate God. And yet I'm over here struggling my whole time, like my whole life. What do, how do I change? Here's the first thing I would tell you. Change your perspective, okay? Change your perspective. What do I mean by that? Over and over and over again, David reminds us what? He reminds us that the wicked will fade. We, we need that reminder, okay? We need that reminder because they live on borrowed time and it can be really, really easy for us to fall into the trap of comparison. So the next time that you're tempted to be frustrated or irritated with the prosperity of the wicked, ask the question, do I really want their life? Because this is where it's headed. Do I really want that? So change your perspective. Second thing, after you do that, is look to Jesus. David says this, he says, commit to the Lord, right? Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in the Lord, commit your ways to the Lord, delight in the Lord. That word commit uh, translated is, is essentially roll upon, okay? Roll upon. So what David is saying is there is he's saying roll upon everything in your life, your anxieties, your fears, your irritations, everything. Roll it upon the Lord. Why? Because he can handle it. Commit it to him. One pastor says it, said it this way. He said, this is a picture of essentially just belly flopping everything that you have onto God. We know what that image looks like, right? Like just completely spread eagle, like, like nothing's gonna stop the, like there's no cushion for you, right? You're just going like this onto God. That's what David is saying here. He's saying, roll everything you have, all of your frustrations, your, your anxieties, your irritations, your anger, all of that onto God. Commit your ways to him. Look to Jesus. And then finally, what he says over and over again is this, do good. Do good. In verse three, he says, trust the Lord and do what is good. Verse 27, he says, turn away from evil and do what is good. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, what David is saying here is get busy with the things that must be done. That's what he's talking about here. Get busy with the things that, that must be done in your life. Focus on the things that, that matter. Like when we get frustrated or irritated, man, spend time praying for that person. Share the gospel with someone. Like focus on the things that are good. Why? What does what what the scriptures teach us? What does Jesus teach us about how he's going to overcome evil? 
He'll overcome evil through what? Good, right? Through good. That's the message that's being portrayed here. And so here's my question for us. Collectively as a church and then as individuals, okay? Are we getting busy with the things that must be done? Or do we find ourselves just constantly frustrated that these people are having all the fun and we're stuck over here like we're walking in mud? When I think about this point, I think about a guy. His name is is George Mueller. We're going to put a picture up here. He was rocking the the faux hawk back in the 1800s before it was cool. Um, George, okay, was a a, a minister in in uh, like England, and he was also someone who, man, saw a need and he decided to meet it. And that need was he he saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of just orphans, kids who were who were parentless, and so over his lifetime. He started orphanages and he cared for over 10,000 orphans. And not one time did he ever ask a single person for money. Did he ask someone to, to help like support his ministry? And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but he just trusted the Lord to, to help him with all of this. I think for, for George, like it could have been very easy to look around and just get frustrated. Man, like why are all these people prospering and, and get irritated with the fact that they're the ones that, that have everything. And I'm over here helping orphans, right? And yet I have no money. Like I'm gonna get, I could get frustrated with that, but he didn't. He committed his ways to the Lord and he trusted in the Lord and he did good. Now I'm not saying you need to go out and you need to start an orphanage, okay? Like, like George Mueller. But what I am saying is where in your life can you focus on the good things and start working on those? Where in your life can you focus on doing good instead of focusing on just the, the, the prosperity of the wicked and just getting irritated with that over and over and over again? I think this Psalm to me sounds a lot more like it, it comes from the book of Proverbs, right? Like when you read it. And a lot of times we say, hey, there's some, sometimes when we respond at the end of the message, there are some truths that we just need to sit with and and wrestle with. And then there are some things that are just like a call to action. I think this has both, right? This has both. This is who God is. This is how much he cares for you and he loves you and he he wants to take care of you. But then he's also calling you to, to change your perspective, to look to Jesus and to do good. That's what he's calling you to do by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church.